I'm not sure the service accommodation is always sold in the best way. When you've talked about the strategies you've done, when you can show how much equity you've created, that's the bit yeah. that excites you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the mis-selling of how easy it is, how quickly it's scalable, because it's hard. Saturation in certain areas. I would suggest they're the type of people that um, will feel the squeeze. Welcome to the Net Gain Club podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about all things serviced accommodation, from a park hotels to sex dungeons. <laughs> Let's listen in. <laughs> so, Mark serviced accommodation it's been a hot strategy for a little while now has the bubble finally burst on it i assume you're referring to the regulation that's likely to be coming into the industry well between that and the fact that there are now so many, so people, many doing people doing it yeah. yeah i don't i see i have an interesting take on saturation i'm not I'm not really a big believer that's well, well of course it exists there are obviously some areas that are real hotbeds for you know holiday locations and and that kind of thing but I think that comes down to how you're going to differentiate yourself and the variety of different target markets one of the things I love about service combination as a strategy is how flexible it is and that's one of the things that I think future proofs your service combination business if you're really clear on the target market that you're looking for um sorry i'm laughing now because i realized that we had a conversation not that long before this about a service accommodation that we're looking at and um we talked about you know differentiation different target markets oh i know where you're gonna go with this okay (laughs) we talked about us looking at an apart hotel that may be situated near some this is your sex dungeon let's cut to the chase (laughs) yeah so it's near some strip clubs and you just thought i i happened to see something on facebook about a japanese love hotel and anyway that that came up and do you know what you think someone is going to be brave enough to run a very specific type because you had an example down yeah, in Southampton. Great example. Yeah, in Southampton, we've got a hotel down there. Not yours. Um, not that I've turned into a, a sex dungeon. Um, but there is a very high performing Airbnb unit that's just a small one bedroom flat that, um, I mean, fair play to them. They, they've gone after this niche. And um, I mean, they're charging probably 10x what a normal one bed apartment would normally charge in that area so yeah fair play but no it's it is flexible um that's not an avenue we've explored necessarily but um yet. yeah yet but it's that is one of the things that i think makes it exciting is uh, and, and it's also a key to getting that strategy right is to understanding your target market because that's going to have a knock-on effect on a lot of the decisions you're going to make around um, the type of property that you're looking to source, uh, how you're going to stock it, how you're going to furnish it, um, the kind of service that you're going to provide, uh, whether it's self-check-in uh, or, you know, it's, it's it's going to have a big bearing on that. So that's going to have a, a big issue what was the question? It was basically, <laughs> yeah, where is it going? And I think one of the things that people love about yeah. serviced accommodation and why it's been so popular yeah. is because you get this ability to have some creative input. Yeah. In this, not in the same way that if you're doing buy-to-lets, it's the same grey kitchen you put in over and over and over again. With service accommodation, I imagine that people 
not necessarily myself because you'll know my I quite like just sticking the same kitchen and everything. <laughs> but people get the ability to style it in their own personal brand and their own place that they would like to stay in a hotel. So it's a it's there's get a lot of people I think that like the reflection side of it or a lifestyle business style of I can go stay there myself. I think that's true, but I think that a lot of people stumble on that. Um, I'm not sure that that is um, always, I'm not sure the service accommodation is always sold in the best way. I think it has uh, been presented a lot in the past as a bit of a get, ri- get rich quick scheme. Um, and there are, there is huge potential to generate high cash flow through service accommodation and, and often through property that you don't necessarily need to own. So rent to SA is uh, a great way to get started. It's a great way to test your market. But as a result of that, um, I think a lot of people have potentially got into serviced accommodation, you know, feeling that they can just uh, take a normal buy to let house, stick it onto Airbnb and jobs are good and kind of thing without an appreciation of the work involved in that, the the systemization, the team you need around it. it you know, if you're going to scale something that is going to create uh, impactful financial security. So I think you're absolutely right. The creativity is one of the things that I enjoy the most about it. This, you know, these are not vanilla buy to lets. You know, this is about um, making a property stand out in the listings. It's about, you know, creating that wow factor and something. So if you're coming at this from a, a design perspective, or even a sales and marketing perspective, perspective then there's a lot to get your teeth into it's a, it's a but it's a very active strategy and in in many ways uh, it's it's something i'm keen to impress on people service accommodation isn't really a property strategy it's a business it's a business at the end of the day there are various property strategies that we use to acquire units rent to rent buy refurbish refinance lease option loads of ways you can get your hands on a property to use but then it's a business. And again, I'm not sure that enough people go into it with their eyes open on that front. And the space is, is going to be becoming regulated. Um, yeah. Those of us that have been active in the industry for a few years now, we've known that this is coming. Um, it's already in place in Scotland, right? I know you've got a bit of a, a yeah. overview of, of, of what restrictions there are now on short the short-stay rental market in uh, Edinburgh kind of led the way and now Scotland has introduced a bit of a licensing scheme and yeah. there's been a, a consultation up until recently in uh, England around how regulation will be introduced and um, do I think that will, going back to the original question, do I think that will burst the bubble? No, well, let's look at the opportunities and yeah, exactly. the challenges in yeah. the market. So let's take licensing as one of those. Yeah. There's going to be challenges and there's going to be opportunities. 100%. Now, we don't know everything that's going to come out of that yeah. licensing. We get a good idea of how Scotland, and it's being challenged, so we'll yeah. see what happens there. Um, we'll get... There's this part of legislation that sometimes as investors, we love legislation because yep. it makes our jobs as our businesses better. Yep. But it can have effects. So what do we know about some of the challenges that licensing may bring in? Yeah, you can imagine when all of this became public knowledge, the all the social media forums lit up for, you know, a few days. with uh, Yeah, a lot of panic, a lot of fear, a lot of people... Um, uh, you know, announcing the doom of service accommodation. And, you know, we've seen things like this come in before. You and I have both operated in the HMO space and, and seen through licensing there. Personally, I, I, I welcome any 
professionalization of our industry. That's how I see it. I think it will it will make things difficult for the the, the real rent to rent brigade, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to become challenging in certain areas. Um, what they're essentially likely, I mean, nobody knows at this stage, um, depending on when this episode goes out. But the chances are um, that the, the plans are still being kind of cemented. The chances are, though, there's going to be uh, an additional use class created for uh, specifically for the short term rental industry. And that's much needed. Like a lot of the problems we've had up till now, um, you know, do you register for council tax or business rates? And it's clarity. And as for the planning departments, I mean, some of this has got to do with them controlling it. And you've seen it, Chamarcy and Airbnb get together to control tax. And so there's all about control. Yeah, it it has to be because they need to know what's going on. They need to know where they can tax you. Anything. If you think you're getting one over and it's MRC with yeah. a different strategy. It is a matter of time before yeah. other people caught on and they. Yeah, and to be honest, this this is uh, probably overdue. You know, mm-hmm. I think in in the realistic time frame, I think if COVID hadn't happened, I think this would have been a lot further up on the agenda. It got pushed back. You know, they have bigger things to worry about, um, and only now recently has it sort of come back onto the agenda again. So, I think clarity is definitely needed. I think it's going to make uh, rent to rent in particular, uh, well. It's, it's going to make rent to rent challenging because you have an additional hurdle to cross when it comes to convincing a landlord to rent you your property. Because um, in some areas, potentially most areas, um, they may, we- may well be able to switch the planning use class under permitted development. But there will be plenty of areas where they want to control, as you said, and restrict yep. the number where they will remove that with an Article 4, just the way that they've done with HMOs. National parks, for example, those are yeah. going to be a prime one because yeah. they've got this real challenge where you've got housing all being turned into short stays and yeah. secondary housing. And you have numerous things in papers where villages are essentially ghost towns in the winter months because yeah. nobody's staying in their holiday the homes. Thing. I think it's I think it's seaside locations in particular. I think National Parks is actually an interesting one because I've, I've found my experience of National Parks and we have property in a National Park. that They are also very realistic about the fact that the National Park thrives on tourism. They can't completely kill... They the want it done influx. in the right way. Yeah. If they could be bringing in exactly. good quality apart hotels yeah. and purpose-built yeah. stuff, they're well up for yeah. that, but less so in yeah. taking every other house and turning it into a yeah. But there are plenty of seaside towns in particular and possibly some city centres as well mm-hmm. that have had their eyes uh, very closely fixed on, on Edinburgh, for example, and yeah. what they've been doing and will be very quick. I think it will then be um, given over to the individual uh, councils to decide uh, whether they want to place that article restriction. And I'd imagine there's a few places that will jump on it straight away. And that's going to make scaling lots of rent to rents mm-hmm. um, as has been because up till now it's been a bit of a free-for-all so mm-hmm. although I happen to think that this is a, a, a bit of a vote winner on, on behalf of the government I don't think it's really going to be a drop in the ocean when it comes to solving the housing crisis but it's popular you yeah. know um, and uh, I, I think I, I can really see in certain areas um, 
them being able to regain some of the control that they've lost because you haven't had to have any you can run a normal house of service accommodation yeah and I, I can see exactly how that's worked in edinburgh now you would have for example in edinburgh historically everyone would put their own houses on airbnb and go away over the festival time or yeah. get people to come and stay with them and that was the point of airbnb to begin with yeah. it was i've got a spare room in my house or i'm not using it for yeah. a few weeks and Edinburgh thrived off of that industry. Yeah. But then you obviously then started turning whole houses into it. And we saw of our own eyes that you would have a whole block and yeah. the top penthouses would then get rented out as party houses. And you'd yeah. have miserable people downstairs and stairwells, yeah. banging doors, party flats. So there is real benefit in doing it, obviously, whether or not they've been doing it in the right way is yeah. up for individual yeah. <laughs> appraisal. But there is opportunities with that legislation. The opportunities are really exciting. When, when, when you spend a bit of time to just delve into it a little bit deeper, I think the opportunities are, are significant. Um, one of the ones that, well, the, the first thing it does is it massively, over time, will shift the supply and demand um, dial back towards the operator. So if there have been areas where saturation has become an issue, if you're a pre-existing owner of a holiday let in, the own, in those areas and the expectation at the moment is that you will probably qualify for grandfather rights, they can't backdate the legislation, then you're likely to be able to command higher rates. Um, there'll be less competition coming into the market. Mm -hmm. But as you know, we're, we're quite heavily invested in the kind of a part hotel, hotel market. And there's a huge opportunity in that space because that does have its own designated planning use class. In that sense, it kind of sits outside of of this regulation, and um, the, the 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 competition that exists from single unit kind of Airbnb properties will uh, be massively curtailed when when the licensing comes in. So, I think from that perspective, there's there's a, a great opportunity. It may become further down the line an interesting talking point then around a part hotel versus hotel, mm -hmm. and does a part hotel stay under C1. And this is something that we're both very invested yeah. in in the moment. Watching very closely. I'm currently yeah. going through a planning yeah. where I'm interested in what... Because it, it, it doesn't... We don't have a definition no. technically in the planning world of what yeah. is a hotel. Does it have to have someone on reception? Does it have yeah. to have eating facilities in a restaurant? Yeah. Nobody knows because it's never been defined. So yeah. that is... They're having to answer that ultimately at the yeah. moment. This episode is brought to you by NPP Developments, your go-to partner for seamless renovation, construction and land development projects. Whether it's a small refurbishment or a grand construction of an investment property, they'll make your vision a reality while staying within your budget. With expert knowledge and a friendly approach, NPP Developments crafts projects to perfection tailored to your specification. Their dedicated project managers guide you every step of the way, ensuring transparency and quality. To find out more, visit northernpropertypartners.com forward slash podcast. Absolutely. Um, and quite often, you know, with these things, they, they, they look to case law and, and, and no case law really exists on that at the moment in terms of qualifying, as you say, what defines a hotel. So that will get interesting in terms of what level of self-catering facilities start to shift a hotel towards being serviced accommodation mm -hmm. and, and causing it to fall under what would, is likely to be the new C5 planning use class. Um, but putting that to one side, I think the the opportunity that exists within that space is is really quite exciting. Um, and then, you know, there are there are lots of 
ways that you can get into service accommodation, lots of ways that you can branch out and scale. Um, and managing on behalf of other landlords is another way. And I know we're looking at some management projects from a service accommodation point of view and being able to provide that service to holiday let owners around supporting them through the licensing process, etc., yeah. is another opportunity. So, you know, I think... I think we're wired that way and I think you have to be wired that way to an extent is, mm -hmm. you know, it's always the, the temptation to panic at first, but then to really start to think about where the opportunities might lie. And what I really like about serviced accommodation, and it, it's like, the, I'm sure it's the same for many strategies, but we talked about it being a business strategy yeah. ultimately. And within that, there's so many different types of businesses that if you decided that I'm going to start a, a side business or yep. a supply business of some sort yep. in this area. There's so much you can 100%. do, whether that's a cleaning company that yep. you're hiring people to go and do it. Staging. staging, staging and furnishing, linen. Yeah, all of these things. Marketing support services for other people, management. Yep. There are so many businesses you yep. create because one element that you often find with when people get into property investment is about... I want to become financially free. Yeah. And this this is a big one for me that you don't often get told that you need to have some sort of income that isn't just purely from property rental. Yeah. And sometimes you, you're so focused on getting the first few buy-to-lets in that when you go and speak to your broker or your accountant or whatever it is about, oh, I want to leave my job, are you then mortgageable? Yeah. And so actually in some of these businesses, they are treated as businesses and therefore creating some of those businesses to go alongside what you do may well give you the income you need to create your mortgageability down the line. Yeah. And you can do this, obviously you could do the same with buy to let, you could still go into staging, you could go into different elements of yeah. it. But I like that essay lends itself with that entrepreneurial mind right from the get-go yeah because a lot of those things you're either finding people to provide those services or you've got to go and well set them up yourself yeah and we also need to remember the other things that are going on within the wider economy and the wider um yeah. property market that um we're talking about is service accommodation still an attractive strategy well again a lot of it comes back down to your target market so I think there's a, a preconception, if you like, sometimes that when people have serviced accommodation or holiday lets in their head, that they're imagining maybe a penthouse apartment in the city centre. Um, some people find it, you know, bizarre to learn that service accommodation works perfectly well in areas outside of city centres and they might or they might have a sort of, you know, your quintessential kind of cottage by the sea in their heads. Whereas actually a, a significant chunk of our portfolio is in um, fairly nondescript locations where there is a high demand for short-stay accommodation for working travel. So it mm -hmm. might be proximity to big employers, um, big infrastructure developments, hospitals, universities, um, airports, you know, all of this kind of thing. And that demand isn't going anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. and it's very unlikely that those sort of areas are going to come under the spotlight of any kind of Article 4 restriction, mm -hmm. or certainly they're going to be a lot further down the line. So there's 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 still plenty of opportunities that exist. And again, if you look at the wider property industry, we've got the Tenant Reform Bill, we've got... It's, we've got... It's just... I mean, I can't imagine having to deal with tenants at the moment. Well, I mean, if you... I look at this from a Scottish perspective, because whatever... 
happens in legislation and property. It's probably started in Scotland and it's gone to a very high yeah. level straight Scots away. Lead the charge. Um, <laughs> and they've made it very difficult for landlords. Yeah. You you just can't get tenants out of properties. Um, in terms of all the kind of legislation side of things, it it's it's a, quite a big risk. Yeah. Having a tenant in your property, even if you go through all the checks and everything, if someone stops paying, the loops, the hoops that they have to jump through for you to be able to evict them are getting harder and harder and harder. So I totally understand from someone who's looking at the option of, I've got a property, it could work as a service accommodation or it could work as a buy to let. Right now, if they're looking at the risk profile, they're yeah. more likely to go down service accommodation. Yeah, the dial has, has massively swung in favour of the tenant, hasn't it? Um, to the point that, that may well be um, unsustainable for, for a lot of landlords. Yeah. Um, and as I said, I, I can't imagine in the current climate dealing with with, with having to have tenants. And the, yeah, the, 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 the vulnerability of... of the removal of the section 21 the fact that you you can't have a um, you can't evict a tenant for for no so if you wanted to sell your your buy to let mm-hmm. property you know you'd have to sell it tenanted or you you can't it's just hoops to jump through yeah. now and it just makes you feel vulnerable and the as much as uh, i've got plenty of stories of uh, where guests give me an enormous headache and and have me pulling my hair out the bottom line is they don't have right of exclusivity over the property they don't have tenant rights and you know the worst comes to the worst if you're getting into a really difficult situation with the guests you know you can move them on and reclaim the property and carry on as you were so yeah that that is that that is appealing and i think it's not so much that it, it appeals to us but it appeals to other landlords yeah. and so i still think there's going to be a market for landlords that um welcome the opportunity to rent their property on a company let to a mm-hmm. service accommodation operator and then you've also got that part that even when swings and roundabouts happen that it goes the other way or they realize actually we've made it very difficult for tenants we're yeah. going to have we have to do something to allow landlords back into this area if you've been looking at a single unit, for example, we always say you must have a second exit, whether yeah. that's selling, whether it's buy to let. Yeah. And obviously things like mortgage rates going up mm. do make the buy to lets yeah. harder to 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 have because it's less affordable. Yeah. But I do believe that when things change and there'll be a lot of people that can't manage the increase in, in mortgage rates, um, that you've you'll have that opportunity there. So if you are looking at service accommodation you really must be making sure that, okay, in the worst case scenario, am I going to be able to put this in a buy-to-let and it cover its face? Or am I going to be able, am I buying in an area that's got high demand that I'm going to be able to flip it if the worst case should happen? Because that's we never know fully what's going to happen. We are at the mercy of legislation, but it's how ahead of that legislation can you be and how protecting can you make yourself of your business so yeah. that you can ride it out? And yeah. and that's probably going to be a big part of conversation if things yeah. continue the way they go over the next little yeah, while. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it is a high cash flowing strategy. All the reasons that people initially had to get into service accommodation still exist. There, there are um, some significant tax advantages in the way that service accommodation income is treated in comparison to rental income that make it quite attractive. So, um, yeah, I, I still think it's it's alive and kicking and there are going to be a lot of sort of opportunities that come out of what I just see as a professionalization of the of the industry. So I think it's going to be a really interesting couple of years for the service accommodation space to see where it takes us.
Yeah, and I think it's that case of are you still going to be doing serviced accommodation? I mean, we're 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 You're all kind of in. Two feet in. <laughs> yeah, we're all in. I mean, we're 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 really heavily invested in service accommodation and hotels. I think. Am I going to be picking up many more individual houses and apartments over the next couple of years? Probably not. Mm. Um, and and I guess and that's not giving anyone that's looking to start in service combination reason to, to pause and not take action. That's just I'm in a position now where um, we don't necessarily have to, you know, be looking to take on lots of individual properties. But I'm very, very interested in the hotel space converting guest houses, mm-hmm. B&Bs that have been run as lifestyle businesses. I really think we're only just starting to see the beginning of that as an opportunity in a market. Um, you know, lifestyle business owners looking to exit that industry for an incredibly tough time over the last few years, having to close during COVID and spend the next year or two recouping the losses from that, um, you know, having to draw their principal salary from the property. You know, it's, it's, I, I think that's a really exciting space to be in. So we're going to certainly be on the lookout for more projects of that nature and also expanding through our management services as yeah. well. And we talked a bit about this, this being a big fish in a, in a smaller pond as yeah. well. And there's, there's something there that there are some of these bigger hotel companies um they will always do well they can weather the storm think of your hiltons whatnot yeah. they'll keep going but you'll maybe have some of the smaller hotels or the less well looked after hotels that are going to suffer they will be the first ones to, yeah. to suffer and they're not set up in a way to run in the same way that me and you can set yeah. up something the way we invest is different yeah. from what they need to do so there's opportunity 100%. for us looking at maximizing space yeah. for us to run it more effectively yeah run it in a way that they're not able to because they're not set up with or they need to draw profit out in a certain way because of shareholders and whatnot yeah so there's opportunity in some of those elements um and converting mm. particularly if you're looking at empty commercial units and where it wouldn't work as residential, but you can run it as service accommodation. And maybe in the future, you've got the opportunity to then convert it back into residential or yeah. down the line. Yeah. So another exit. Yeah. Um, there's there's plenty of interesting ways that you can work as long as you've got that future sight of, yeah. of where you're going. I would still be picking up service accommodations if it's the right house yeah. in the right area. I'm not interested in apartments personally, just because I think you've got the challenges yep. of neighbors, leases, yep. lending and all that insurance. But the right house and the right street with demand that I know that I've got my second exit. And absolutely, I'm sorry, yeah. it's not burst for me. No, and it's, it's. I would, I would suggest, I'm going to go out on a limb and I would suggest that the people that typically jump on service accommodation Facebook forums and ask about saturation in certain areas... I would suggest they're the type of people that um, will feel the squeeze with the way that the industry is going in the sense that, you know, when you really unravel that question, I think what they're really asking is, can I put a mediocre product that I spend very little money on, turn it around quickly? If I put, if I just throw that onto Airbnb, is it going to create hundred percent occupancy and a thousand pound a month for me? Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, and I think, so when I look at saturation, I'm I, I I I don't need to concern myself with what 
scraps are left for everybody else. That sounds terrible. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I, I'm going to come in with with a, um, a high end product. Um, I'm not saying that everything's super luxury. It very much depends on your target market. But I'm going to come up with something that's really well done, mm-hmm. that is very much in tune and um, meets the needs of the market that we're looking to tap into. And, you know, we know how to optimize our listings. We know how to represent the property in the best way with professional photography. And we're going to be the first ones booked. And that's all I really need to concern myself with, not whether there's enough for everybody else. But isn't that a bit symptomatic of the fact that you've got people out there, gurus saying, get rich quick with service accommodation and you don't really need to do too much stick a bed hang some pictures and stick it on airbnb and make tons of money and look how quickly the hmo market moved i mean we started investing in um student hmos in the northwest um about seven seven and a half years ago i think it was and um you know we were spending anywhere between 60 and 90k on converting a two, three bedroom terrace into a six bedroom licensed HMO. And we were pretty out there putting feature walls in the bedrooms. I mean, people were like, whoa, look at this. Look at this luxury so pad. it's your fault. Yeah, look at this, look at this high end thing. And I kid you not, within 18 months, I mean, some of the HMOs that were coming to the market looked like what a service department looks like now. I mean, you know, just look absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. And so I remember we had a decision at that point. Well, it was a little later than that, a um, couple of years ago now. Do we go back into our HMO portfolio, spend some money on making it competitive again by really looking at what the market is now offering and and what the market is demanding? uh, Or is that money better used elsewhere? Um, And we ended up making the decision that we could put our our capital to better use within serviced accommodation. But it just, yeah, it just moves so quickly. And I think the, you know, the days of just putting a, a vanilla property with a sofa bed onto, well, listen that's just that's where you're going to get the issues it's it's often the people that are saying oh, i'm having issues with dodgy guests or um, parties or complaints from the neighbors often roots back to the type of property they chose the amount that they chose to put into it and the way that they operate it yeah and in the industry right now is there anything that you're finding particularly annoying yeah there's i mean where do you start I mean, it's not so much within the industry, but within operating a service combination business, there's just, I'm just pulling my hair out on a daily basis. I mean, just, (laughs) you know, that's not fair. Like 95% of the guests that stay in our properties are lovely. And it's always a great feeling to get that buzz on your, on your, on your, on your mobile phone to say that you've had a booking, that you've got a really good review. But I just think sometimes it never ceases to surprise me what uh crazy stuff guests guests get up to the demands that they make um we had we had a guest recently that um that that needed it pretty much spelling out to her that the way to operate a, the door into her hotel room was to use the door handle um <laughs> you know it's it's just it blows my mind the kind of stuff that we get from guests it's just little things like guests that book for book a four bedroom property for two people and then use all the bedrooms, you know, and, and use all the linen and, and bits and pieces like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. What you need to realise when you get into service accommodation is that you are running a business. And certainly when you're starting out, you, you're likely to be pretty hands on with 
firefighting and dealing with a lot of those issues and there's never a dull moment there's always stuff that's sort of even now you know we're getting queries just when you think you've seen it all you'll get something come through and you think well i've not seen that one before you know so but you can then get a management agency in get a management agency yeah, yeah that's a can of worms in itself um <laughs> in terms of um the due diligence that you would need to do to find a management agency because again okay well that there's a there's something that grinds my gears. Um, training companies that um, push managing other people's properties as an entry-level strategy. Mm. I, I, it's just ethically wrong as far as I'm concerned. Like we've only very recently, we, we, we operate 59 units, including two hotels. And it's only very recently that we have felt comfortable and confident enough to start managing on behalf of other landlords. What's the issue? So it's not so much an issue and it might just be a, a you know a personal hang up of mine but I genuinely feel like I want to have a proof of concept. I want to feel that I understand my market absolutely inside out before I take on the responsibility of managing someone else's property. I almost feel more obligated to make the properties of our landlords successful than our, than our own ones in a sense. Um, and that might be just me, but equally I stand by that in the sense that suggesting to someone who has never operated a service accommodation business before and everything that goes into that, all the moving pieces, that a, a way for them to get started and scale really quickly is to manage on behalf of other people. I, I think it's, the, it's not the fact that someone isn't going to be capable of going through training and yep. learning how to do it and actually being a blooming good manager yep. and doing it very, very well and being a passion of theirs. It's the mis-selling of how easy it is, how quickly it's scalable, because it's hard to yeah. onboard people management, as you said, unless yeah, yeah. you have some proof. Um, it's it's not to say it's not possible. I think mm. it's just the way in which it's told that that is the easy, best, quickest way into yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. I'm sure there are some some fantastic management companies who who have only ever managed and, and, and that's how they got started. But, but I do think it's sold like that. I do think it's sold you know make make your mistakes on someone else's property first before you start um investing hundreds of thousands of pounds in 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 buying and developing your own properties and i just think that's that's wrong that's not right so yeah there's there's a few things within the industry and i think the whole um the whole get rich quick um ethos and message around serviced accommodation um i think anyone that's been in the industry and in the business for a period of time realizes that you know there's 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 a critical mass that you need to achieve before you can fully systemize and automate aspects of your business. So what is it that the gurus are putting out there that's just not true? I think it's essentially that it's a, it's a get rich quick exercise um it's and i get it it's it there are less barriers to entry in a lot lot of aspects of serviced accommodation and there are ways of getting started without needing lots of capital but the whole yeah the whole get rich quick ethos and the way that people are hooked into the strategy i think just causes problems further down the line and um not not selling it as what it is which is starting a property business and everything that comes around with it, all the responsibilities of running a business, because some people come into this with a bit of property experience, but that doesn't mean to say they have 
business experience and all of the um, responsibility that that involves. Before we get into any more ranting, let's play a quick <laughs> game of Would You Rather. Okay. Would you rather operate yep. single units or multi-units? As in multi-units in the same block or building. 100% multi-units. Um, that for me is the key. Control the product. Like people talk about apartments. Does do apartments work? Are they too much headache? Is there too? Well, my my take on that is secure the block. If you control the product, if you've got all the apartments there, I say secure because it's whether you're buying or renting or managing or whatever. But secure the product. But for me, yeah, one hundred percent multi unit because the economies of scale, the fact that lending costs or lease costs, whatever it is, are spread over a number of units that are actually achieving a similar nightly rate to a, they would as they would if they were just individual units on their own uh, makes it that much more scalable so individual units we might be breaking even at let's say 50 percent occupancy but we'll be achieving a lot more than that with a multi-unit block so mark's advice is go big or go home go big but for people starting out yeah it's going to help to start with yeah. something test i mean it's a proof of concept you've done that before you've bought or you've you've rented something rent to rent something tested it seeing how it's worked yeah before you then scale that up yeah joking aside i wouldn't say go big from the start i think you need to test your processes i think you need to test your systems and most importantly you need to you need to test and prove to yourself that there is the demand that you think exists you'll have done due diligence you'll have done your area research but there's that rent to SA, for example, is a fantastic way to actually get proof of concept and and then you can scale quickly. Yeah. You know, that's when I think it really gets exciting. But starting small, make your mistakes on, on one individual unit, test your systems, refine everything, and then you can kind of scale. Because at that point, you've created a lot of stretch in your elastic. Yeah. You know, you'll have got maybe a channel manager, you'll have got um, various systems around your business that are probably way more than you need just to run a single unit. But then you realise, well, this is just plug and play now. I can just add more and more units to it. So the next would you rather okay. fits in quite nicely to this. Yeah. Would you rather do rent to service accommodation or buy, refurbish, refinance service accommodation? Um, yeah, you're going <laughs> to push one, me for an one. answer, aren't you? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's actually an easy one for me. I mean, um, buy, refurbish, refinance for me. Um, when I realised that you could combine, in effect, the two strategies, when I could combine the beauty of buy, refurbish, refinance in terms of being able to take that initial investment pot, whether it's your own money or somebody else's, and recycle that through the deals, um, but combine that with service combination as your exit, for me, that was like having your cake and eat it. You know, and not only are you adding to your asset base, you're recycling your cash to move on to more deals and you've got a really high cash flowing strategy at the end of it. For me, that's what it's all about. Rent to SA has a place. Yeah. I would definitely say it has a place. Um, but I don't, for me, yeah, we're, I mean, we've got a small handful of rent to SA units. The vast majority of our portfolio is owned and developed. And I know if that when you've talked about the strategies you've done, when you can show how much equity you've created, that's the bit yeah. that excites you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest is day to day and all of a sudden you go, look how much equity we've created exactly. in this building. Yeah, and we were joking before jumping on the recording about um, 
people who see the world in numbers and people to see the world more creative in words. And, um, you know, n numbers is not, not a natural language for me. Um, I have to work but hard. But equity is. But yeah, big, big, <laughs> obvious numbers jumping out the page at me. It's, but it's like magic. It's like, it's, oh, what, what an amazing, uh, you know, how does that happen? Is that, you know, you, 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 you add exponential value because you add more value than the works which is what the secret to BRR is all about. And then, you know, someone comes along and values that property and almost out of thin air, you've created half a million pounds of equity. <laughs> you know, I still find it amazing. Oh, you can tell. <laughs> You'd smile on your face, tells yeah. you all about and it. And then at the back, not only knowing that you're sort of sat on that, because that's not liquid for you, and essentially, but to know that you've then got high cash flowing property that is creating thousands of pounds, you know, adds genuinely. Adds to your net worth, ultimately. Adds to your net worth and genuinely life-changing levels of cash flow um yeah that's where it's at for me is 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 in the scale of it and obviously this strategy is is your baby you know that's yeah that's why obviously a lot of this is focused on you yeah. i'm getting into the strategy something yeah. i didn't ever necessarily plan to do but yeah. hey ho you live and learn um and for you I I am still learning and I'm still figuring out what it is I don't know. But is there one thing that you wish you knew before you either scaled up or got into the strategy? I think uh, the work involved. Um, I think if if I'd have known, um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think if if I'd have known that the kind of that how hands-on this strategy is compared to other investment strategies but also the systems and the processes that are available to you i think that's what makes it really exciting is the ability to scale quite quickly so i think if i'd have known from the beginning it's it's all about starting with the end in mind isn't it so i think if i'd have known at the beginning the kind of scale that's possible through systemization and automate and automating as much of the process um that's part of the fun of it i yeah. think well, that's the bit you enjoy yeah. i know that for sure yeah. and any opportunity to now get ai yeah. involved so watch out for another yeah, podcast yeah. episode on that <laughs> yeah it's a really exciting space yeah. it's a really exciting space um and i think if i take new projects my, my main role within our business is to be driving new projects which uh, i tend to be doing pretty much consistently because we like to stack one project on top of another um if it wasn't for that you know through auto automation and through systems and also through building our team you know we're we're running a significant portfolio and i'm probably spending a handful of hours a week on it so you know uh, there is a critical mass that you need to get to to to, to reach to that point but yeah i think it's i think that's what makes it really exciting. And you see that service accommodation still has years left in it as a strategy. Is that is that your focus? Yes, I think so. I think so. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Like, you're, like if you rewind the clock five years ago, I wouldn't have even known what service accommodation was. So I don't like to get a crystal ball out because mm. who knows what opportunities might come out in the Stay future. Stay flexible, and, I think. Is yeah, the, exactly. Is and that's the thing is I love service accommodation for um, what it does for us right now. Um, will it? Will it? Will I still feel like that about it in ten years' time? I'm not going to commit to saying that because. Well, let's face it, if COVID has taught us anything, we don't know what's around the corner. Um, and COVID created a lot of challenges for the hospitality industry in particular. So, um, yeah, I, at the end of the day, it's about st what one thing that doesn't change is your vision. 
and staying focused on your vision the strategy that at any point in time is is the best one to fulfill that that might change but yeah i love it i can't i can't see it going anywhere i think actually it's going to be a really interesting space to be involved in over the next few years Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please don't forget to like and follow to make sure that you never miss a release. And if you're interested in finding out more about the NetGain Club, please head on over to our website, netgainclub.com, to find out all about our membership benefits and the events that we've got coming up. I got